Fratelloni's Ace Hardware and Garden Stores brings you Garage Logic Podcast number 356, April 3rd, 2020. The high on this day was in 1921 when it reached 80 degrees. The low was 9 degrees in 1954, and it's above my 6.5 inch threshold. So I will tell you that we had 7 inches of snow on this day just two years ago, 2018. Ice outs today on White Bear Lake, 1995 and 1998. Ice outs on this day, April 3rd on Minnetonka, 1976, 1995, 1998, and 2007. On April 4th, tomorrow, when I won't be able to tell you, ice outs on White Bear Lake in 1929, 1930, 1973, and 1990. And tomorrow, April 4th, ice out dates on Minnetonka, 1860, 1942, 1966, 1973 and 1998 and on april 5th sunday i could find no ice outs for an april 5 on white bear lake but on minnetonka april 5 1895 1896 1930 and 2015 and now we go over to kenny with celebrity birthdays nope and now (laughs) from the mayor's office above the boathouse on the east shore of spoon lake it's Garage Logic with Rookie on Production, Chris Reavers, Director of Social Media, John Hyde in the Newsroom, and occasionally Kenny from the Krabby Coffee Shop. Here is your Flashlight King, Fireworks Commissioner, and Keeper of Common Sense, your Mayor, Joe Souchere. We uh, shortly... Take that orchestra down. Uh, shortly, we're going to talk to Dr. Steve Richardson. He's an anesthesiology fellow at the University of Minnesota. About two weeks ago, he started working on a ventilator on a Sunday night, called his buddies, got some equipment, and within hours, he had created a simple, effective prototype ventilator, uh, inexpensive that he's now perfecting, and it turns out that uh, Steve's a GLer, uh, and so is his dad, Mike, and Mike uh, arranged for us to talk to Dr. Steve Richardson, and Reeves, anytime you're ready. He is on the phone with us. I, I think right this now. is this is fantastic. And uh, I am still on this wild goose chase you said, right. which, by yeah. the way, on your part, yeah. brilliant. You need, that is. You need Kenny to shut up, give him, a, give him an assignment yep. right before we crack the mic. That's right. <laughs> You're smart, my friend. You're smart. <laughs> is Dr. Uh, Steve with us, it Chris? It looks like Paul is, or, uh, Chris is making, uh, just give us give us 10 seconds. He mm-hmm. looks like he's about to put him on hold. Mm-hmm. Okay, looks like he's ready. Joe, go ahead. Doc? Yes, sir. May I call? Should I call you Steve or Doctor? You, you go ahead and call me Steve. Steve uh, Richardson, you're an anesthesiology fellow at the U of M. Uh, first, what does that mean? That means so I uh, I am an anesthesiologist. I completed my anesthesia residency at the University of Minnesota after medical school at the University of Minnesota after undergraduate at the University of Minnesota. So I'm now in the stage of being a quadruple gopher here at the university, uh, completing all my training here. And so I've been spending the last year at the university and at our VA hospital uh, doing uh, cardiac and thoracic uh, anesthesia for cardiac and thoracic surgery uh, Mm -hmm. patients. Are you a Minnesotan? I am. Born and bred? Yep. Born and bred. Yep. You got... 
you got a bit of press, uh, what, uh, Steve, 10 days ago, two weeks ago, because uh, you have uh, created a ventilator sourcing equipment and resources for what, your buddies? Yeah, so, you know, this has kind of been billed as an off-the-shelf um, kind of a thing. Uh, you know, I imagine that, you know, you have a little more extensive garage shelf than the average person, right? Okay. Um, and it, I would say it's similar to that. This is, you know, off the shelf in terms of industrial parts. You, you, it'd be, you'd be hard-pressed to go to a Home Depot or Ace Hardware and build this exact model. Um, okay. We, we went from, uh, we took my buddy Jim McGurin, I kind of called him in the morning, Sunday morning, and said, hey, I think we can build a ventilator. Um, he said, let me make some phone calls. He's a biomedical engineer at MGC Diagnostics up in Vadness Heights. Right. And they had some, some ideas for, for equipment we could use for a plunger design, basically, uh, mimicking uh, a CPR device, an automatic CPR device, where a piston basically comes down and compresses the chest with a plunger head. And uh, they had uh, a motor and a similar um, kind of a piston inside of one of their machines there. <clears throat> and uh, with the permission uh, of the company, uh, we just went at it. Uh, they ripped that apart. We put it, we mounted it inside of a tool, um, uh, a tool tray out of a toolbox <laughs> and, uh, away we went, you know, within seven hours, we had a working, uh, prototype of a ventilator. Uh, and from there we went kind of light speed. Basically it's been a 24 seven operation, um, and has now grown to include companies helping us like Boston Scientific, Medtronic, United Health Group. Um, we've been in contact with uh, Lockheed Martin. Um, <clears throat> some Toyota engineers reached out to us. Uh, you know, anybody and, and everybody uh, has jumped in. Early on, we had some Minnesota companies, ProtoLab, DigiKey, um, another uh, company on the East Coast called Technic uh, that makes electric motors. Uh, they're in New York, uh, all really helped uh, to design what is now what we're calling the Coventer. Um, and now the device, we actually filed for emergency use authorization of the device with the FDA last Friday. And uh, Boston Scientific uh, just put out their press release, I think, yesterday morning that they're, they're gearing up for production of this while we in parallel seek FDA approval for the device. Before so, I Before I get on to... What steps must be taken for you to uh, to acquire the approval? In in uh, Garage Logic, simple terms, explain to us what is a ventilator? Why are they needed? Yeah, so um, you know we're kind of facing unprecedented times in terms of needs for a ventilator. So these patients with coronavirus um, basically have trouble getting uh, sufficient oxygen past their lungs uh, into their blood. And so right. some things that a ventilator can do are a ventilator can provide you with an, an ability to provide a higher concentration of oxygen than yep. what is present in the air. And you can provide it at a higher pressure um, and sort of kind of force that oxygen across the membranes in the lung into your blood. And so that's why we need these ventilators as, as people, you know, to put it simply kind of have inflamed lungs that their ability to to move air in uh, oxygen into the blood and carbon dioxide out of it uh, is impaired and so the ventilators help to improve that process does the ventilator help you breathe easier uh you know it 
it, it, it helps you breathe. Um, okay. It is, it can be very uncomfortable to be on, on a ventilator uh, and have a breathing tube in your throat. Right. Um, so, so patients need sedating medications to keep them comfortable uh, while they're on a ventilator. Um, but yes, from a, from a physiology standpoint, it does, it improves uh, the gas exchange uh, in the, in the lungs. And that's what we're really trying to achieve. Why, if, if a patient came into the University of Minnesota Hospital today and needed a ventilator, is one available? Yes. Okay. And our hope is that, is that no one needs this device. The, the right. challenging thing for us is that, you know, even I think four or five days ago now, there was a New England Journal of Medicine article saying that, you know, the anticipated need for patients who are going to be on a, a mechanical ventilator is somewhere between 200,000 and a million. Now, mm-hmm. obviously, that is an extraordinarily wide range. The other thing is we don't know over what time course that will be. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the, the surgeons here, uh, I thought, had a great, a great uh, way to describe it is that we know a tsunami is coming, but we right. don't know when it's going to hit us, and we don't know how big it is. Okay. And so what we're trying to do is kind of build that last line of defense, that if this wave is large and it comes fast, um, can we pour enough concrete down to keep it keep it away? Um, and so we're we're trying to. Um, there's a, a a guy that listened to his podcast a lot, Jocko Willink, former Navy SEAL, um, and he likes to say, you know, it's this military expression: um, "Take the high ground, or the high ground will take you." Mm-hmm. And you know, we're trying to get ourselves and our patients to the high ground. We're trying to create a last line of defense if we run out of mechanical ventilators. We hope that that won't be the case. Uh, are, are, are other docs around the country doing something similar to what you and your, your buddies have done? Everywhere. Really? Um, yeah. Uh, there are groups at, there's a group at MIT that's working on something similar. There's, uh, there's people at Rice, uh, people from uh, Georgia Tech have reached out to us. Um, uh, the, the, there was a team at Lockheed Martin that was working on something similar. You know, I mean, you, basically you take a, take a group of people. I'm sure Boeing's probably got something going on. You take a bunch of engineers who aren't able to do their usual work, and they see this crisis, and everyone wants to jump in and, and help and try and create a solution. Um, we happen to be lucky in that we, you know, I was here at the University of Minnesota with the Medical Devices Center here, which is one of the premier places for designing medical devices in the world. Um, and I happen to have a buddy who's a biomedical engineer and put together a crack team of people uh, in a matter of minutes to get us the first prototype. Um, and then, you know, to have the medical devices center here. Um, and we were just off and, off and running. And, and the, just the tremendous medical device industry in Minnesota. So our, our focus was we knew that this had to be ready fast and it had to be designed to be scaled um, because you know, we could recreate the wheel and try and create a brand new mechanical ventilator that has every bell and whistle on it. But as you've seen, the problem with that is that, you know, there was just an article that Medtronic ventilator has parts from 14 different countries. One of their high-end ventilators has 1,500 parts, I think. So you can imagine that's a, a, an extreme logistical challenge in these times to source all those parts, to ramp up production of every single one of those parts that's needed to make the ventilator. So we focused on making something that was simple, that people all over the country 
um, with machining experience, with a CNC machine, who could do metal cutting and bending, could put put it together, and then with an electronic motor that could be sourced from, you know, an auto manufacturer or other, you know, repurposed from other industrial uses, that you could put those together and make a machine that compresses an AMBU bag so that, you know, you don't have to have an option. Myself as a physician who will be putting these breathing tubes in people to say, well, um, we can either offer you your comfort care or we, we don't have any more ventilators, so we can offer you an AMBU bag and either a healthcare provider or a family member has to sit there and squeeze the bag at the bedside. Right. Um, essentially, essentially, is it, is it not a complicated device? So our device is simple. Um, as with anything, you know, the medicine behind it is is complicated in that, of mm-hmm. course, it takes a long time to become a doctor or a nurse or a respiratory therapist to, to kind of gain the skills to use something like this. But right. the device the device is simple. Um, and it, it takes a common uh, AMBU bag, you know, something that a paramedic, uh, you know, you may be seen, you know, squeezing in an ambulance. You take a device like that, you put it in, and this device simply compresses that AMBU bag. And that design has been identified by people, like, like I said, all over the country as a uh, a viable alternative as a rescue device if we run out of ventilators. It sounds not unlike combustion. Uh, No, Such, think bellows. Yeah, bellows. You're pressing. You're creating pressure to push air. Right. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Steve, uh, now for a completely different line of thought, how difficult is it uh, to bring this to fruition, to get approval, to manufacture them, to ship them. How, I would think the steps are, are, are incredibly difficult. The hoops you have to jump through, are they, they sound like maybe they're more problematic than the creation of the device. In some ways, um, you know, it, it, is. It, it is. It is harder to write down on paper how to, uh, as you can imagine, put this, in, <laughs> you know, if you had to write instructions on how to crack an egg, it's a lot harder to write those instructions of, you know, take it out of the refrigerator, open the container, crack it on the side of the bowl. Don't crack it too much. Right. Um, or if you just show it to someone, um, all, you know, the medical professionals inherently understand how to do this. To write those regulations down on paper is a, really a Herculean effort, as I'm, as I'm finding in the last uh, few weeks. I've, you know, this is my first experience filing FDA paperwork, uh, you know, creating a medical device, bringing in all the people that have the expertise regarding the regulation so that we can make this you know, as safe as, as possible and also do it in a time frame that will get it, get it to patients who need it um, before you know, this tsunami has kind of passed us over and washed back out. The well, but doctor, uh, given the fact that we're in a global pandemic, how can that not be expedited? Yeah, so I think the the... Obviously, these are unprecedented times for for everyone, for for universities, for medical device companies, uh, for the FDA, and the, the I mean, people have moved mountains for us to to get these things to kind of alter the way that you know, Boston Scientific is moving at light speed on this. Um, and the FDA, they I, I think they are will hopefully be reviewing this, you know, sometime today or the next few days. Our filing has been there for about a week, um, and I don't know exactly yet how thorough a review it has gotten. But they are, of course, inundated with requests like this. And, the, you know, we don't have 
we've never had a situation like this. So we don't have a, a system designed to appropriately vet these huge quantity of, of uh, applications that they're getting. I would say that their approach based on what the other devices they've approved has seemingly transitioned to one of the understanding that they may need to approve devices that normally would not be approved um, because physicians, nurses, respiratory therapists, you know, any healthcare provider is going to need options to use because it's possible that we could run out of, you know, supplies that we would normally rely on to use, that, that they need to free up people to, for, you know, for a physician, for a clinician at the bedside to make a decision that, you know, I understand the risks. Um, this may not be something I would normally use, but given that I have no reasonable alternative, I feel like this gives my patient a chance to survive. Oh, hell, um, give me one. I'll take it if yeah. it came to that. How, how far away are you from the truck backing up to the loading dock and start hauling these things to hospitals? We're, we are extremely close. They, I think we're you know, in the order of hundreds to, to thousands in the, in the next couple of weeks. I mean, we have, we have built over 25 prototypes. We could have, uh, just with engineering help at the university, and we could have built more prototypes, but we kind of froze the design, made some design iterations. So the companies that are helping us are actively working on setting up distribution, assembly, packaging, labeling, doing all of those things in concert so that as soon as we get the word go, that we're ready to go. You know what uh, the positive start doing this. You know what the positive of this is? Uh, this world will never be short of ventilators again, will it? <laughs> I certainly hope not. No, this it won't has been be. Quite a wake-up call. Oh yeah. It it really has. Uh, what about your own life? Is this consuming you 20 are you getting any sleep? <laughs> uh, the last few days uh, the the um, the amount of people that are assisting on this is uh, just astounding. So the last few days, I have been able to sleep a little bit better. The first night that I was really able to sleep well was after one of our uh, one of our initial tests when everything just went went off without a hitch, um, and I knew that we had a device that I would feel comfortable, you know, being in my being in my ICU at the University of Minnesota and somebody uh, putting me on this that. I know that this gives them a reliable enough way. It is not an ICU ventilator. It's not a ventilator that I would use in the operating room, but that, you know, if it came down to that, I would take it. Um, and, uh, but it has been completely uh, all-consuming. It has been a challenge to maintain some, some sort of semblance of balance. Fortunately, uh, my wife is a saint uh, and has, uh, has, has pressed on with my, my three small children at home uh, and, and keeping my life in, in order for me. Steve, there's a, there's a saying in Garage Logic called the female fun limitation factor, <laughs> the FFLF. You, you didn't get just to the point of this thing. You, you were going to fire it up the first time. She didn't open the garage door and say, hey, time to eat, did she? Yeah, she what, didn't ruin that for you. What's that contraption? <laughs> Put that junk away and come in. You got soup no, waiting. No, no, she, she did not. Or she better did not. question, did you just come up with this so you could get out of the house? 
<laughs> no, uh, w- when I w- uh, when I was uh, taking my my job a- a- at the university, I'm going to be staying on at the university uh, to be. And one of my goals is to be part of this uh, a mobile resuscitation consortium where they are putting patients on ECMO. Really, kind of also changing the science of cardiac uh, arrest resuscitation. Uh, my wife said to me, "Well." Uh, you know, the thing is, I'm okay with this because I realize you're not normal. <laughs> right. And so she, 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 she knew what she got in me. Let me ask you something. Uh, the use of this device gives a patient a better ch- – this is going to sound dumb, but I hope I can square it away. The use of this device will give a patient uh, – better odds at survival than the non-use of the device. So far, so good? Yes. Okay. What is the does, does the use of this device and other ventilators, does that create a situation where a patient can ultimately heal? Yes, that, and that, that is our ultimate hope. Uh, you know, un- unfortunately, even in well-resourced, you know, areas, um, you know, in the state of Washington, in the state of New York, fortunately, uh, as of this point in time, we haven't reached a point where uh, we've had to triage ventilators yet. And right. despite our best medical efforts and technology and treatments, uh, patients are still unfortunately dying of this disease. But we don't want to be in a position where <clears throat> we have patients who could potentially recover if we can maintain them through their acute illness with the assistance of a ventilator. Uh, and we simply can't offer them mechanical ventilation because we're short of units. And so the goal is we know that there are some patients who would potentially go onto this device who who will not survive. Um, but we don't want to be in a position where we have patients who could otherwise survive, right. um, but we have nothing else to offer them. Is this your first effort at creation of a mechanical device? Or when you were a kid, did you fool around and create your own things and build things? You know, I, I've definitely, uh, I've definitely tinkered with some things. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I have to 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 give all credit to uh, to my my engineering colleagues. They've they have complimented me from time to time in that I'm, you know, I'm not so bad. Uh, <laughs> but uh, dealing with, you know, Aaron Tucker is kind of our lead engineer. Art Erdman, he directs the Medical Device Center. You know, the, the engineering expertise that, that has gone into this has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, but, yeah, you know, I've, I've been a tinkerer, a maker of things, a repairer of many things around the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm a physician. I love to... I love to learn and know how everything works. GLer, but, uh, you're a GLer, dude. Yeah, you're a GLer. A, a you, long-time GL listener. Do you yeah. still need donations from the public? You know, if um, so, our goal at this point in time is that we know this is not going to be the the end of the line for a device like this. Um, if people are interested in in supporting this, they can go to the just you know, search the Bakken uh, Medical Device Center at the University of Minnesota and can support us through that. Um, we, we know that this device can, can be better, and we see there's a long future in a device like this. Um, there are people all over the world who cannot afford mechanical ventilators in under-resourced countries, and we think that we can offer them a solution with, with imp- you know, continued improvements in this device. And you know, we would hope that w- with ongoing development, we can create a design that can can be a blueprint 
for future disasters, that maybe we don't have 20,000 or 50,000 or 100,000 of these sitting in the Strategic National Reserve, but maybe there are some. And then we have a design that's rapidly manufacturable that when we see this wave coming, we can turn on, you know, the GM factory, the Tesla factory, you know, the factory like uh, IAX that helped us out with our prototypes um, and produce this in every state in the country um, as fast as possible, that your machine shop down the street can help to make the bodies and send them to a a company that assembles them. So that's what we're looking to do in the long term um, to to supplement this short-term need. You sound like a good soul. I don't mean this question to be as crude uh, as it will sound, but it, it seems to me that you didn't do this to become a billionaire. You did this because you saw a problem. There, yes, there absolutely. There is not a drop of uh, protectable intellectual property that we see in this. Um, oh, okay. There's actually a, a serial inventor, um, Keith Lurie, who um, was uh, for a time affiliated with the University of Minnesota. He's invented many medical devices. His his wife is an anesthesiologist that works with me, and I actually t- called him because he had invented a CPR device and said, hey, I got this idea for this thing, and he started laughing on the phone and said, you know, I invented that thing 20 years ago. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so he sent me his patents that have, have since expired, and that's been the amazing thing is that all these companies that have been involved in this are doing this at cost. You know, they're not trying wow. to make any money off of this design. Um, our intent is to release it in an open source format. Um, you know, every single person along the way has had no commercial interest in it whatsoever. Wonderful. I mean, they just, wonderful. Just, you know, donated their time and their yeah. energy uh, to help people. I'm proud that you're a GL or I really am. It makes me feel good. Such may I? Yes. It sounds like you're wrapping things up. And I've got a, uh, I wrote down a whole bunch of questions. Fine. Uh, doctor, first of all, I need you to describe for me so I can get this uh, right in my mind's eye. It's a tube that actually goes down your throat, correct? So so our device connects to, uh, would connect to a breathing tube, basically. So a patient would have a breathing tube inserted by you know, an ICU physician or a nurse anesthetist, an anesthesiologist at the hospital uh-huh. who specializes in doing that. Right. They'd put the breathing tube in place. Then they would put a filter on that device to protect people in the room from the virus kind of coming out of the lungs and then hook um, a, a, a circuit up just like it would be attached or you know, similar to what would be attached to an ICU ventilator and that's a, that's attached to this AMBU bag. Um, a manual resuscitator bag, and that bag is placed in this device, yep. and the device has a piston that just comes down and yep. squeezes the bag. It, it replaces a person. It replaces you know, a healthcare provider or a family member who would otherwise do that squeezing. Okay. I've, yeah, I've seen pictures of the device. I'm just trying to picture how it, it's used. And then do you also at the same time have an oxygen mask over the patient's mouth? So the, the oxygen is fed into the AMBU bag itself oh, okay. from, uh, from the wall. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and then, and I think I heard you say then the patient would also be asleep during this, um, while this correct. is installed. Okay. That's correct. My next question, um, are all the ventilators, are, they're not all going to be made in the same shop, right? I, I'm getting the, the, the sense that there's going to be a few shops across the United States where they're put together and assembled. Yeah, that is that that is likely the case. Uh, initially, um, we will be working with a Boston Scientific, 
uh, and then we anticipate that you know that over over time that will expand, and okay. that, you know people will be able to take this design and and build it themselves. Okay, because um, we've had people from all over the world reach out to us. Looking that to, sounds to me like the key. It, it sounds to me that uh, you'll take somebody in the in the central uh, Africa, and you know a year from now, two years from now, they have this. They have this package to go to assemble their own or create their well, own. Well, and right. I also have a question about that. Um, like, say we've got in this initial run when we're getting fired up. Say we've got three different areas, uh, three different plants, if you will, uh, in the United States. Will the motors be the same motor in every single one of them? Or are you going to have different parts from different areas? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They, they that will evolve over time as as we see what the demand for this particular device is. You know, you've got fortunately we have supply coming online from all different areas, and so we'll see what the you know how many we actually get orders for. There's a company in Spain that has a very a similar design, and they're using um, windshield wiper motors, for right. example, from a, a company overseas. Yeah. Um, and but it could be there are people who you know you could use a a motor from a scooter, electric scooter. There's there's a lot of options for the for the motors, and so that will depend on what the supply chain looks like. But it's an adaptable an adaptable design. Right. I was just wondering about if there's uh, an issue down the road in troubleshooting and getting parts or replacement motors, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. And then the last question I have: uh, spell Bakken for us. It's a B A K K. Yeah. Thank you. I I just have one quick one, Joe, for for doc, for Doctor Richardson. So uh, Joe has a daughter that works in healthcare. I have a wife that works in healthcare. From your standpoint, Doc, um, whether it's technology, whether it's medicine, whether it's manpower, whether it's knowledge, what have you, across the board, what's your confidence level that this country is going to combat this pandemic? I mean, I I think we we have the. I'm encouraged by, I'm sure this is happening everywhere across the country. What's happening here in Minnesota, in the Twin Cities with these companies that we've been working with that, you know, I I know that one of the things that's really been touted is these public-private partnerships. And I think this is the epitome of a public-private partnership where, you know, you provide the infrastructure, you clear the regulatory road, and you just let Americans just fire at will. And this is what we do. Um, these are the kinds of things we produce. These are the initiatives uh, that we come up with and tackle. And I think that with with that resolve, that we're going to be able to stay on top of this. Um, that that we're going to be, you know, we need to get back in front of the of the fight here. We're 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 maybe a little bit behind. I mean, we've we've kind of seen everywhere in the world that this has come at us faster than anyone could have anticipated. Um, but I, I know that it is possible um, for us to get back uh, in front of this thing. And you know, we've got people you know, that just in, in every area, whether it's mask production, everything, uh, still going to be a challenge. We're, we're a little bit behind the eight ball, and as you can see with the supply of masks and ventilators. Um, but if there's anybody that can, that can do it, it's, it's, it's us. Steve, I hope I never meet you unless it's outside of a hospital. Uh, I was thinking the opposite, Steve. I was thinking I'd like your phone number uh, because uh, I could have a heart attack here in the next ten minutes, and uh, you're a guy. You're a guy I need to know. Yeah.
Well, happy to talk to you anytime or care for you anytime. Well, we'll stay in touch. And again, I'm terribly proud that you're a GLer. I mean that. And I think all GLers are proud that you're a GLer. Thank you very much. And best of luck. Thank you very much. Best of luck. Thank you, Dr. Steve Richardson, anesthesiologist at the University of Minnesota. You know what, Joe? Yeah. The listeners are right. Kenny and I are really dumb. Yeah. (laughs) After talking to him. Well, at at least I I had looked him up and the device up uh, a couple of weeks ago when we talked about it. So I had in my mind's eye what it did. You know, it squeezes the bag, basically. Right. But you heard what he said at the end there. Yeah. Get out of our way. Yeah. The citizens of this country. Yep. Clear a regulatory path for us and get out of our way. We'll get this done. And he just... He couldn't have led more perfectly into a soliloquy I want to engage in today. Uh, that that's that should be the motto of of America trying to fight a pandemic. Get out of our way, and it'll happen. Why don't we return shortly? Hello again, this is Mike Fratelloni from Fratelloni's Ace Hardware and Garden Stores. Fratelloni's is open every day till 6 p.m., seven days a week. Please come on in. We are practicing ultra, no-touch, social distance customer service. You're going to come in and we're going to say, hey, what can we help you find from 10 feet away? We're not going to touch you. You're not going to touch us. We're constantly cleaning our stores. We're really trying to be as safe for our employees and as safe for our customers as we possibly can. So be aware that our customer service is going to be a little different. Stop on in Fratelloni's right now. Come on in, social distance customer service, Fratelloni's Ace Hardware and Garden Stores. And now a man who's on more than he's on, Joe Zuzure. The hell does that mean? Um, I don't know. That's the old voice guy, too. Mm-hmm. It means you're on more than you're off. Say, so just a reminder, EcoFund Motorsports in downtown Forest Lake practicing the distancing that we all must but you can do everything online go to ecofundmotorsports.com pick up perhaps a bintelli e-bike they're on uh, great sale prices right now and you get free delivery in the twin cities area they're proud to be a gl company and uh, we're proud to have them and they believe that the gl customers are their best bintelli e-bikes are the ideal way to social distance and get some fresh air call ecofund at 612-321- 8867 to set up what you want delivered and they'll take care of you. EcoFun Motorsports in downtown Forest Lake. Say, uh, boys. Yeah. Yes, sir. I was reading today and it, it, it couldn't, I couldn't make a jibe closer to Dr. Steve Richardson. I was reading today that the Navy hospital ship Comfort that was deployed to New York City with great fanfare, it has a 1,000 bed capacity, but there are only 20 patients on the vessel Mm -hmm. and it all comes down to red tape problems uh asked about the lack of patients being treated by the comfort new york city mayor bill de blasio told cnn there's no question in my mind that we'll get it resolved quickly you'll see the number grow well he didn't answer the question uh the question is that uh, apparently they were having trouble deciding if they would accept people with pre-existing conditions, for example. On Thursday morning, the Comfort was treating three patients yesterday. Three patients, according to Patrick uh, Amersbach, the ship's commanding officer. A U.S. Navy spokesperson confirmed late Thursday that the number of patients on board the Comfort has now reached 20. Okay. They have 1,100 personnel on board. Uh, 12 fully equipped operating rooms, radiology, a medical lab, pharmacy, optometry, a CAT scan, two oxygen-producing plants, uh, but they're, uh, 
they're having uh, uh, trouble getting people on because of the various red tape uh, situations. Wow. Uh, it, it got me thinking. Now I'm going to lean back in the old squeaky chair here. Boy, the, the GLers love the squeaky chair. The problem is the government's too big. It's not streamlined enough. It's not streamlined enough to be efficient and competent. I think what's happened over the years as the government has expanded is that each agency has created additional layers. So there's really very few places the buck ever stops because it doesn't have to. Uh, you talk about the lack of testing and the lack of uh, ventilators. and the, the question becomes, well, w- should that have been the government's problem to begin with? And if the answer is yes, why wasn't it accomplished? And the answer to that is because the left hand has not known what the right hand's doing in this country for many years. The government is too broad. It's too expansive. It's too horizontal. Uh, and there's no – the chains of command – get obscured to the point where decisions often become a matter of redundancy. And the decision-making process gets passed from agency to agency to agency, from bureaucracy to bureaucracy to bureaucracy. We just talked to a young fellow at the U of M, Steve Richardson, who's, who's going to be struggling with the FDA to get approval. And I'm sure that'll be a, a chore for them, but they're going to they're tenacious and they'll do it. As he said, let the Amer- get out of our way, government, and let the American people help. Uh, the idea that the government is too big will even result in this. This pandemic will itself result in a continuing expansion of government. Yeah. I heard today on uh, CNN while I was eating lunch, I heard a, an interview with a uh, uh, health uh, director in the state of Pennsylvania and she, I think it was a she, I'm not being uncharitable. Uh, it, was, it was a close call, whether that was a she. I didn't know. I'm not being, I'm not being unkind. It was, if it was a she, she had a male voice, but I guess that can happen. It doesn't any, matter. It doesn't matter. In any event, she said, we're developing a nursing home SWAT team. Okay, and I got thinking, well, A, what the hell does that mean? Yeah. Uh, B, is that really necessary? And C, you know damn well that going into the future, the government will be, co- will be employing more and more people who work for nursing home SWAT teams. And the government will continue to grow instead of shrinking, which it should do. If anything, what this uh, pandemic should teach us is the government's too bloated to be accomplished. The government's too bloated to be competent. The government's too bloated to be efficient. The government's too bloated to be streamlined. Mm-hmm. Streamlining streamlining has left the barn, I, I don't know when, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. just too big. Yeah. It's too big, and the right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing, so that by the time you get to the left hand, they say, what are you talking about? I never heard from the right hand. Uh, it's uh, it's an amazing situation and and uh, one that's one that's going to be the downfall of us unless we get a handle on and, it. And perfectly stated was with Dr. Richardson saying how he's got what it was Boston Scientific right ready yeah, to go. But yeah. but what are they waiting for? The OK <laughs> sign. You're waiting for approvals. And they're trying to save people's lives for God's sake. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just that uh, we've talked about this before. Uh, we've talked about the growing spread of the political class. And uh, it's not even so much the political class. It's these agencies and bureaucracies that have been created uh, 
redundant after redundant after redundant? Why can't there be, you know, from here on out, the streamlining process should be significant. What it's going to take is an administration that realizes that and selflessly wants to accomplish that. And uh, I see no other answer to this because, again, this is not a one-off illness. No. These, these kinds of things will begin to affect the, this country and the world again and again and again. It's, it's just going to be inevitable. And what we need to counter it is a streamlined operation, and we don't have that. We just don't have it. How do we get it? You we- almost have to start over. Yeah, because I don't see us getting it. So, well, let's just stick with Doc and his device. Yeah. Is there one person or a group of people in charge in Washington that could get this thing and his blueprints and this device looked at today and approved and and being manufactured by Monday? My answer to that would be no. Not even the president. Because oh, it might go to the FDA, and the FDA said it'd check with the patent office, and the patent office would have to check with the uh, uh, office of management and budget, and then uh, but Joe, I don't, I don't know if the president could make it happen. Didn't the president enact a wartime? Oh, yes, yes, wartime production. And wouldn't this fall under that? Well, the only way it, this would fall under that is the president would have to say to uh, uh, to uh, uh, Honda with their plants in Ohio, uh, say to Honda, uh, you will be contacted tomorrow by a fellow named Steve Richardson from the University of Minnesota, and you are going to start building his ventilators. That's how that would happen. The War Production Act would have nothing to do with Steve Richardson. He has no means of production. You'd have to go to some outfit that had a means of production. And Steve alluded to that. He said Boeing is doing it, and uh, Tesla is doing it, and Ford Motor Company, GM. They're all doing it. So there's plenty of people, plenty of powerful big companies with the ability to start cranking these things out. Yes. But we're all held up by the FBD, uh, excuse me, FDA, Patent Office, etc. Basically Washington. Washington. Washington, which is too big. It's too spread out. It's too multi-layered. It's too uh, onerous. It's too, I could go on and list words for a half hour. It's not necessary. But take a step back, too. So we have one guy who's a GLer who's on the forefront of this trying to get this done. I guarantee there's 50,000 other guys just like him trying to do this, and they're trying to do it while also making no money. They're right. doing this because they just want to save people and give people extra time to stay alive. Boys. I, I'm, I'm, I'm still going through this, uh, the, the Navy comfort ship, uh, and trying to uh, find out why. Uh, we are conducting data analysis to see how we need to change our configuration. Bottom line, we've been here 48 hours, and this is a scenario no one has ever seen before. This is coming from people on the ship. No one wants to get this wrong. We need to hear feedback from medical f- professionals, Jeez. and we're fine-tuning. Good God. But the comfort will still only treat, uh, will still only treat non-coronavirus patients. What? what? See. Let me start over. Screening, uh. screening for care on the comfort 
will be modified. It will now occur peer-side in an effort to reduce the backlog at some of the nearby New York hospitals, the Pentagon said. The screening effort for the United States Navy ship Comfort will no longer require a negative test for coronavirus, but each patient will still be screened by temperature in a short questionnaire. There are some patients that the Comfort can't bring on board, mainly those who are immunosuppressed due to the fact that the ship is open bay and does not have the ability to isolate patients, according to the Navy official familiar with operations on the ship. We are conducting data analysis to see how we need to change our configuration. Bottom line, we've been here 48 hours. This is a, this is a guy on the ship saying this, and this is a scenario that no one has ever seen before. The official told CNN, no one wants to get this wrong. We hear the feedback from medical professionals and are fine-tuning, but the comfort will still only treat non-coronavirus patients. So as we speak, they're not even treating coronavirus patients yet. But is that because they want to keep the regular hospitals, they want to keep those decks as clear as possible? Apparently that's part of it. Okay. Sure. And, and, well, then why was the ship brought there? For that very reason. To, to, to take the guy that's uh, maybe has a heart attack or the, the, the gal that's, yeah. that has a problem with seizures well, to have them being treated on the ship well, that, as that's opposed a great, to tying up a hospital bed. You know what open bay means. I, I, I'm picturing a whole bunch of beds in a, in a big room. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, There's no way to okay. isolate them. You've raised a great point. And, uh, Thank repo- you. Well, reporting is what it used to be. What your state, what we're beginning to learn is, well, maybe the comfort wasn't brought there for coronavirus patients. It was it was ballyhooed as the reason, but as this moment, they're not treating coronavirus patients. Right, and be- maybe they shouldn't be. Maybe they should be treating everybody else. Well, then the ballyhoo was all misguided. Right. It led the nightly news. Here comes the U.S. Navy ship Comfort, the the white horse to the rescue. But didn't well, no, you, they're not. But wait a minute, wait a minute. Before you get too worked up, didn't you almost take that as a symbolic move for what we're dealing with right now? Because I certainly did. No, I took it to uh, that they're going to that waiting for them would have been twelve hundred coronavirus patients. Yeah, that's how I took it. That's how I initially took it yeah. right up until you know now. Yeah. But again, but again, it's another example of, I mean, listen to the quotes. We have to fine tune. Uh, We're changing our methodology. We're, you know, there's, it's just a, it's a forest of regulatory roadblocks. It's a forest of regulatory roadblocks. At the request of the Federal Emergency Management Agency, the Department of Defense will expand its medical support to include COVID-19 positive patients at the Javits Federal Medical Station in New York. Uh, and that goes on to say, these uh, and uh, Memorial FMS in New Orleans, Louisiana, and K. Bailey Hutchinson FMS in Dallas, Texas, the, Depart- the Department of Defense said, these three DOD-supported locations will now provide support to COVID-19 patients in convalescent care as well as low-acuity patients uh, originally, all three facilities were intended to treat non-coronavirus patients in order to free up capacity at civilian hospitals. So I, I think it's fair to say we, as a, as a news-reading public, a news-consuming public, we might have been a little, uh, uh, not mis- well, yeah, we might have been a little misled as to the reason that the comfort showed up in New York Harbor. Right. And, and now they're now now they're saying, well, you know what? As long as we're here, 
we better figure out a way to accommodate coronavirus patients. Well, that's how I'm reading it. Right, but we still, you know, they still have regular patients with yeah, real yeah. problems. Yeah. I don't think any of this negates or promotes or does anything with your initial point, which is well taken. And I think it doesn't matter which side of the aisle you're on politically, everybody should be agreeing with you. And But the thing, the problem is, Joe, there's, like you said, there's no way to change things without starting over. Almost and, have to start over. And we can't start over. It's no. too late. No, we can't. Uh, I, I don't know what the best we can hope for is uh, uh, just extraordinary leadership at the top who sees this as the problem and does his or her best to remedy it. But uh, uh, again, let's go back to the conversation that we've been having for the last few months um, about people in Washington uh, living on a different rail. Mm-hmm. Right. They're, they're not living like we are. They're better than us or they're different from us, and they'll do anything to keep that lifestyle and, and stay in Washington and not be a part of society. I'm afraid that's true. I'm afraid that's so true. So that person who's going to downsize government doesn't exist, or at least not in government currently. Sobering point. Why would that's... Trump say, let's like say start with the, the, the office of the president, let's make it a four-year term? Why would any senator say, instead of six years, let's make it three years? None of them are going to do that. Well, you know, I will say this about Trump. If there was ever a guy that was would see this, it would be him. You would think. He he has done some things. He has trimmed regulatory activities. He has uh he has uh, tried to lighten the load of uh, uh manufacturing and production and uh, he has weighed in on the EPA in terms of water in the country and right. now now uh, uh fuel efficiency regulations. If there was a guy who was going to see this is a mess, man. This is a big bureaucratic mess. He would have been the type of guy because he comes completely from the outside. Yeah, you would think. Yeah. But now he's the best man to stay on another four years. And <laughs> and for me, this started with, believe it or not, Paul Wellstone, who I didn't really uh, agree with his politics, but I certainly respected the guy. And the one thing that he did say when he was running the first time was, I'm going to only serve one term. Uh, I'm not going to run for re-election. There's no way I'm going to do that. What did Paul do? He ran for a second term. Yes, and it was very disappointing because I truly, honestly believed him. And after Paul, I've never, ever bothered to believe anybody else when they say that. At the well, risk of trying to not trying to start a war, you're talking about the president. I didn't get the beef between he and 3M this morning. What was that all about? Uh, because 3M apparently is still supplying masks to other countries. What they did is they basically put these things up for auction and they sold them to the highest bidder. I mean, that's dumbing it way down. So if a different country or somebody else offered more money, instead of saving them for the United States, they sold them. Got it. Okay. And now, and now apparently they're being told under the War Production Act, uh, you'll be making masks for this country. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I just saw it, and I, I'm, I'm too me, me too stupid to understand. That's why I thought I'd ask you guys. Um, well, I, I had a grim thought during your <clears throat> oh good during your speech there, Such. Yeah. Is uh, is COVID World War Three? Uh, boy, it. it the temptation to say, unless we get a handle on it, it could become, because classically, war is about land. Yeah. War is about territory. War is about borders. War is about sovereignty. And 
you know, if this got out of hand and millions of people are dying, then all of a sudden the, the chess pieces start moving around and uh, you're answering to a Chinese official who's now suddenly says, I'm your president. I mean, that's really way out there. Okay. That's, that's really far out there. But uh, uh, if you're going to use the term war, which I'm not so sure is, is the correct term, if you're going to use the term war, you're bringing all those elements into play. You're bringing land into play. You're bringing territories and borders and boundaries into play. And we're not seeing that yet. That's why I asked you, because I was about to respond to a tweet that's accusing us of crying wolf by advocating to stay home at all costs without digesting the economic ramifications. Don't like it. Don't perpetuate policies that have these consequences. And I almost responded with, you're wrong. This is a war. And then I started thinking, well, that might be outrageous hyperbole. Is that an email to GL or a tweet you saw? It's a tweet. Oh. Yeah, because I got another, uh, I might as well read it. Uh, I know it's disappointing. It was a reaction to a, a goofy, fun knucklehead tweet I sent out to Rook and uh, Johnny. It's like you can't even have fun on Twitter anymore without nope. these guys kicking you in the crotch. Good afternoon, Joe. Hail the flashlight king. Hail you. I'm a listener who could credit much of my worldview to what I heard as a young man listening to your show every day. Uh, you were somewhat of a mentor, so to speak, as I was your typical lost youth from suburbia. I'm sorry to say I'm extremely disappointed, not at your stance on the coronavirus, but on your belittling and completely dismissing anyone who disagrees with you. I insist I don't do that. If we have done it, it's in defense from just being slaughtered in the email and on social media. No, 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 no. We haven't done it even then. Who have we belittled? Who have I disagreed with? Well, besides The hallmark of this show is you get to say what you want to say, and you're not ripped apart. I guess he would have to provide an example. Um, And he goes on. Are you okay? Sounds like you're rolling around on the floor. (laughs) Oh, these headphones are dreadful. Uh, I am extremely disappointed, not at your stance on the coronavirus, but on your belittling and completely dismissing anyone who disagrees with you. This is something a Mysterian would do, not the mayor and flashlight king of Gumption County. We need to stick together, especially in times as these. I have one more bone to pick. Your comment on emission standards not making one bit of a difference in performance. You oh. obviously do not drive a diesel yes. or know anyone who does. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, this Oba- is something- I'm, Kenny, I'm not done oh, with the email. I'm so excited, Joe. Obama's emission standards have destroyed the diesel truck. My 1997 old rusty rundown one-ton Ram still pulls out my 2018, still outpulls my 2018, and does not need diesel exhaust fluid. Still love you, Joe. Not sure about those other knuckleheads. Go ahead, Kenny. <laughs> uh, oh, he's absolutely right. And I've had a wonderful, wonderful uh, 24 hours, both in email and on Twitter, discussing this very topic. And I wish I knew more about diesel, and it comes from not owning a diesel truck. I'm driving a, a, ga- a gas a truck, and uh, that's what I'm hearing over and over and over again. This, this, the, the emissions thing is really screwing the diesel drivers, both financially uh, and mileage-wise and every, everything else involving, uh, involving diesel. And we really, uh, truly got it wrong, the two of us did. But you don't drive a diesel either, do you? Me? Yeah. No, I never have. No, and nor do I. I mean, I've got a the big 2500, but it's a gas engine. And what I commented on with the gas engine, it's the same uh, basic engine, um, same liter as my last truck. Uh, but my last truck 
the zero to 60 was way better. But this truck I'm driving now tows a lot better, a lot smoother, a lot more relaxed. The RPMs are lower, uh, and the mileage is about the same. So I didn't see it in my vehicle as much, and what I did see didn't make a big difference. But from what I'm hearing from virtually everybody is that it's, it's a huge deal with the diesel engines, and they're really getting screwed. So, Trump, yep. so in my opinion... Trump is headed the right way with the EPA and the relaxing the uh, the restrictions. Joel, the other day you were discussing John Dillinger and the other gangsters of the 20s and 30s who made St. Paul their safe haven. Well, we're fact-based and we screwed something up. Uh-oh. You, you mistakenly stated that they were able to get away with this because of a corrupt sheriff by the name of O'Connor. Well, Joel, you were close, but no cigar. The corrupt official was the mayor, John J. O'Connor, who created the O'Connor system. <laughs> Uh, which, uh, by which arriving gangsters who checked in with him or one of his lackeys at the infamous Green Lantern Saloon on Wabashaw Street paid their required fees for protection and then relaxed under official police protection. As this started to come to a grinding halt in 1934 under the strong and very honest enforcement by newly elected Sheriff Tommy Gibbons, a first cousin of my grandma Myrtle, this is written by Rads, who had retired from the boxing ring. He fought Jack Dempsey in a 16-round battle in Shelby, Montana in 1923. Dempsey won by a decision. No tougher sheriff ever patrolled our streets, and he served in that position for 24 years. The O'Connor layover agreement ended in 1935 with the conviction or resignation of many of the city's police force. Still alive, just behind the glass window, safe in my sandbag bunker, regards rad. So wait a minute. Would this be analogous to the story you brought up the other day of, uh, was it a mayor that said to, to the criminals, hold off on committing crimes till the coronavirus is over with? Oh, hey. That was the guy in uh, Houston. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, give give us a couple bucks. You can, That was uh, Sylvester somebody. <laughs> you can hunker down yeah. and then go commit your crime as you go on your way. Hey, hey, take a break. Don't <laughs> check this out. If you pause right, right now and don't commit any crimes till after the coronavirus, we'll be all better off. That's, That's what right. he said. Yeah. That's what he said. <laughs> you know what we need to do? You know what would solve a lot of our problems here for, for us? What's that? Phone lines, phone calls. Well, that would free up all of this. The GLers wouldn't be writing these emails that are hostile and angry at us. We just, uh, they'd be able to call us and tell us off, educate us. How about whatever the GL vent line? Oh, I love. Uh, uh, yeah, that's fine. Okay, uh, but no, wouldn't you agree, Joe? Because that that gangster thing, and and I realize he's a good guy and he was having fun with us, and that's fine. But. We don't necessarily know what we're going to be talking about next. We've got a rough idea, but that just came up. And we can't sit here on Google and fact check every second we're on the air. We, we just can't do it. I mean, we could try to keep up, but it never works. And I think having a phone line, open lines every day, starting at... I don't up, want... I don't, I, I, you're... you're uh, well, you, uh, it be would, quiet. Go it, home. You're overthinking right. it. Here's the better. Yeah. Here's the better way to do it. Just do what I do. Say something really stupid and, and 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 not thought out, and then just get corrected by someone that's willing to research it tomorrow. No, I have an idea. I have an idea. I have an idea. <laughs> Don't turn your mic on. I do like the idea of a, a garage logic vent line, uh, and we could play those recorded messages during the show. 
That's I like bad. that. I like that idea. What That's recorded messages? Well, is there a way to we have could set a, up a vent voicemail? Line? Yeah. Right. Is there a way to set up a garage logic voicemail? No, that negates everything I just said. No. Yeah. Well, no, good. We, That's what I wanted it to we do. We need <laughs> open. We need open lines. I know what we need. It's the only way that's going to. No, no, because I, 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 we should be having this conversation off here. Right. But the whole dynamics of a podcast are are not uh, driven by the interaction with the audience. That, that that's that's. It can be. That would be. We could try it, but I, I have a feeling that would not work. Well, have too you well. ever in your career been yelled at uh, via email or even back in the days of snail, uh, snail mail as much as we are now? Sure. About yeah. what? That, no, everything. About what? Oh, yeah. That's fine. That's fine. You should have heard the calls I wouldn't put through when we were on the radio. No, that's fine. <laughs> I have a better idea. How about we yeah. take a break and we come back with Patrick? Uh, no. First, I want to tell you, I want to remind you, I want to remind you that just as uh, EcoFun Motorsports is engaged, so is Countryside, Volkswagen, Fiat, and Alfa Romeo. Uh, you get an on-site by appointment only. That way you stay safe, they stay safe. I'm talking about Countryside, Volkswagen, Alfa Romeo, and Fiat in Maplewood on the southeast quadrant of Highway 36 and 61. Call 651 651- Two four three four three one six. Go to the websites vw dot schmelz vw dot com schmelz alpha romeo dot com schmelz fiat dot com. Select the car you're most interested in. Would like to learn more about? Take a test drive. Call for your own appointment. Six five one two four three four three one six. Schmelz Countryside in Maplewood. Now. Pick- This is Patrick Ricey for the Canopy Group. Do you make practical decisions based on being lucky? Do you have one agent representing only one company for your home and auto insurance? Are you hoping they are lucky enough to have the best coverage at the best price for you? Uh, The Canopy Group believes you deserve more than luck when it comes to your home and auto insurance. You deserve a true and tried process. The Canopy Group has a dedicated team of 30 professionals and hand-selects their 16 companies. They match each client with the company that best fits their individual needs. This due diligence and hard work results in the best coverage at the best price for Canopy clients. No luck, just a disciplined and dedicated approach to serving you. Remember, new clients enjoy an average savings of over $600. Request a quote today at thecanopygroup.com or call 800-967-3389. Hey, Kovo. Yes, sir. How you doing, Koval? You know what? I like Fridays because you can, when you're staring out the window, the garbage truck will come by here pretty soon. You know, uh, and this is an especially exciting Friday because it's also uh, a recycling. So we get two uh, trucks oh. today. So they, uh, they, uh, the one she rolled up about uh, the regular one rolled up about ten forty-five. Yep. So then I walked out and got that garbage can and brought it back. That gave you something to do. Yep. Yeah. And about 10 minutes later, the uh, the uh, recycling one came up. So I went out, 
And then I walked in and I looked over and the neighbors who have the same garbage service we do, theirs was still sitting there. So I walked over there and brought their two up. So it's been a pretty exciting morning. That's, you know, got a lot of bark garbage can action. Now I got to wait till next Friday though. So I don't know what I'm going to do. That's a long time. Boy, that's a long, that's a, that's a hell of a replacement for a good game, isn't it? (laughs) I wonder, you know, you sit there and you kind of put your hands in your pants, uh, like you came down under the belt and you say, yeah. I wonder what that garbage truck's going to be here. <laughs> Are you going to start being a, a sabermetrics guy for the garbage truck? Let's see, he was 1045 today. Last week he was at 938. Yes, I think I could become more efficient for these guys. If they, uh, they only listen to me or take better angles or some damn thing. So, yeah, this is, you know, I said, I just said on Twitter a little while ago, I'm getting more emails than I've gotten in. You know, my email system's all screwed up, so if you want to send me an email to start your view, you got to go through sports. I'm getting 20 a day. I didn't get 20 a month. I think people got time on their hands, Joe. I think so. I, I think, think so. Got, I think they got time to do stuff. They send me these long stories about when they played high school basketball and stuff. So, anyway. You know what I'm looking and at you know right what? now? I read them. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know what I'm looking at right now? A beautiful cardinal, red as all can oh. be. Boy. Man, I, I came home yesterday afternoon. I, I took one of my needless trips just to drive around a little bit. And uh, I got out, and this guy this guy was trying to bring in a young lady because he was, he, he was right in the tree above me, and he wouldn't stop. He didn't, he oh, yeah. Wasn't, even I couldn't distract him. He was he was hollering for attention, man. He was courting, wasn't he? <laughs> yes, he was. Yeah. They, uh, it's it's great when you see them. But last year we had a whole backyard full of full of them. And then one day I looked over at the neighbors and there was a hawk sitting on their roof. Yeah, and we didn't see a cardinal for about the next. They see one of them boys. They get out of dodge. They move. Well, our chief offsite correspondent, Kelsey, has a saying. Whenever he sees a little dog, a lost dog on a telephone pole or whatever, he says, mm-hmm. I know where the dog is. <laughs> well, the yeah. dog's gone because of coyotes and foxes and eagles and hawks and everything else. Then you Then you find the nest full of collars. Right. Yeah. I haven't seen uh, a coyote in the neighborhood lately. There was some down at Bass Street Park a couple of years ago. Uh, and uh, I don't know, uh, you know, when I was driving, when I'd uh, get up and drive somewhere at 3 o'clock in the morning just because I wanted to go get a Diet Coke or something, uh, I'd see a coyote once in a while, but I don't see it. Okay, you guys, that sounds really interesting, whatever the hell you're talking yeah. about. But you know the guy that tweeted the uh, the donut thing last week? The <laughs> yes. Rex Chapman? It's right over there. Yes. yes. He just sent out a tweet called Quarantine Day 33. Is this the bear uh, one? Where, yeah. where this couple has yes. a full-size teddy bear. The girlfriend cuts a slit up the back of the full-size teddy bear, pulls all of the stuffing out, crawls in it, and then jumps on the couch. The boyfriend, the boyfriend comes in, starts watching TV, and she starts twitching and moving and freaks the guy out. It is so funny. Oh my god, I was so wrong about Rex Chapman. I actually had him muted a while, 
But he's got some really good I, stuff. I, in fact, retweeted it, Candy Nights. All I said was, this is 100% something rookie would do. Oh, it's so yeah. funny. You have to follow Rex Chapman on Twitter. Did you see the fantastic April Fool's that the guy did? He took the Trump press conference and and said, uh, breaking underneath, and it yep. said, uh, uh, Trump changes course, says students will not, that online learning won't count, and students are going to have to take the year over. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. oh, no. <laughs> my reports from Woodbury are the grandkids were insane. <laughs> One of them was crying. The other was freaking. They were calling all their friends and saying, did you hear this? Oh, there was so another funny. one, too, Pat, where, and I thought of you because the, the, there was a dad that had three daughters, and he had told them Wednesday morning, that, hey, uh, we just got a note from school. Uh, you guys are going back today. Had them all get dressed up. They had all their stuff, and they are waiting for the bus for about an hour. And they kept looking back going, you know, Dad, when's the bus getting here? I, I don't know. I just said you're going back today. <laughs> I am watching I am watching this gal who got in the bear suit. It's the damnedest thing I've ever oh, seen. Isn't it funny? Have you seen? Is, is it reached? The, the guy's freaking out. Yeah. Have you reached? You haven't reached the payoff yet, though. Have no, you? but all she's very clever because all she does is lift a leg once yeah, in a while. She twitches. <laughs> oh, 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 now she got him. Oh, yeah. Now she got him. He walks over there and touches it and she oh. jumps up. Oh. That's fantastic. Don't, uh, don't show the rookie this one. He'd get a oh, yeah. something. Yeah. I just saw a great. A great uh, a uh, tweet a minute ago about down in uh, South Carolina. Uh, they got a the shopping center. This gator's like wandering oh, up there. Yeah. <laughs> Go just, in because there's nobody around. Just saw that one too. Yeah. Patrick, Patrick. Yes, yes, I yes. Have, I have a uh, note from Cal who says okay. golf is the most socially distant socially distant sport there is. If you stand less than six feet away from anyone playing the ball, you're going to need a doctor for a whole different reason than COVID. Most holes, I don't even see the people I'm playing with, except on the tee and a green. Plus, it's against the rules to play another person's clubs or ball. No transmission hazard there. Just some thoughts. I think uh, I think golf should be allowed. I think the high school kids should have their golf season. And, you know, this was especially true when I played. Yeah, uh, the social distancing because you know I'd be over there like a hundred yards off the fairway, and uh, the rest of you guys would be walking. You know, I'd be. Right. I was only. I was socially. Uh, I was mingling with the squirrels and stuff, and I. Think I, I played. Okay, right? uh, I've played golf with you many times, and rarely and saw you. you. Yes, that's true. Once yep. in a while, just we'll meet on the team, uh, meet on the green eventually, and. Uh, what happened? Know, Tell us again, what happened the day you teed off and ended up in a creek? <laughs> when, uh, when you rolled off the tee box. Oh, I was in tears. Yeah. Uh, playing with hard drinking Red Severson, hard drinking Frank Island, <laughs> and uh, hard drinking Augie. And yep. very hard drinking me. Yep. And we were playing the nine holer at Piers, but we went around twice. Yeah. And I, I think it's. Number eight is an elevated T. Yep. And by then, you know, I didn't take beer with me. I took a quart of gin. Oh, jeez. And we're drinking, and I was 
very upset with the way I'd been playing. So I took this mighty swing, big yeah. swing, you know, yep. baseball, big swing and half. There we go, big swing. Missed the ball, <laughs> lost my balance, rolled down off the side of the, of the tee box. <laughs> and it wasn't a creek. It wasn't a creek. It was woods. There were oh, trees the woods. There. Yeah, I, I ended up like lining up against the trees. <laughs> Oh, and uh, and uh, <laughs> I said, ah, I'll just throw it somewhere down there. In the <laughs> oh, oh, God help yeah. me. And, and, of course, the good news is the most sober one in the group drove back to St. Cloud. So Which, I don't know who we, that's I don't right. know who we nominated. Who got nominated for that? <laughs> I don't know who we got nominated. But we stopped at Ring's Red Bull at Little Falls on the way back. Yeah, and and Frank Highland was a little false guy. They knew Frank Highland, and they loved Frank Highland. And Red was a very well honored college basketball coach. And they still threw us out. Wow, <laughs> really? Even uh, with the influence that we had, they asked us. To was wow. this the same round or rounds of a nine-hole golf that included you on the tee box, looking at a flock of geese going? These geese are about to get skull bleeped. <laughs> no, I think that was with Suchi, right? Oh. Wasn't that with you when we were playing Edina and you hit the goose? I did hit a goose, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Suchi. A low screaming liner. Ooh, oh, yeah. That's when you were just getting started again after not playing for 20 years. That's right. You that's two right. could become oh. a hit on YouTube if you'd pair up and yeah. just <laughs> give us YouTube lessons yeah. how to yeah. play the game. Yeah, because well, Ricey lines up. Don't you line up? Uh, a t-, well, t lines up east to hit it west. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. But uh, I don't. Uh, I have my golf problem. You don't play. I only do you? play Mike Firmoil's ball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if yeah. I get invited to a scramble and Firmoil's in the foursome, then I'll go. Then I can. Then I can play his drive. You know. So then, then we're okay after that. But uh, anywho. This would have been beautiful uh, twins weather, though, wouldn't it? Uh, to, oh, it'd be uh, tough today, huh? Like uh, last, of course, it would. Today was an off day, but last week, as I said, you got just as good a shot to get a nice, gorgeous day on March 25th here as you do on April 10th. So whenever you yeah. open up, whenever you open after March 25th, it's. It's, it's a crapshoot anyway. So. Any word at all? Do you have sense any development in uh, if there's going to be a season? If so, when might it start? I think it gets more and more pessimistic, don't you? I guess so. I mean, I mean, what 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 are the rules? What are the guidelines? Is it going to have to be that we're really going down, and uh, and it appears that the worst is long over and we can start going out and meet each other again? Or do we have to wait till it's eradicated? Yeah. Right? That's, that's the problem. I mean, if there's still 50 new cases in California, can we play ball? You know, what they just cancel. I just saw that they, uh, something way off into the summer. Uh, oh, the gay pride festival. That's uh, in June. Well, they canceled no, no, uh, Rock no, the no. Garden. Rock the Garden. It's almost easier to say what hasn't been canceled right. than what's been canceled. Well, what's the hurry? What's the hurry? I, I don't know. Planning, maybe? I don't know. Well, the That's, big problem now is uh, layoffs. Is, uh, as I said, the Boston Herald laid off a bunch of people. I don't know what newspapers are going to do here to, to survive. I mean, you're get, we're getting you know more digital hits than they've ever been and stuff like that, but that doesn't make any difference if 
if there's no ads, and why would anybody buy an ad? There's nothing to buy an ad for, right? So our newspaper build the building that the Pioneer Press is in is closed. Uh, really? There, there might be two or three people allowed to be in the newsroom. Everyone else is working from home. Oh, they have discouraged. I think this, I think a guy could still get into the Star Tribune, but they have discouraged that uh, most, most, all our desk guys now are home. They're all working at home. Racy, uh, your uh, your sports today is eight pages, but it looks like that's thanks to Dennis Anderson and his. Yeah, well, they slapped the. Uh, they had you know the. The uh, Friday was a separate outdoor section. Yeah, they just so they combined just put it. The two yeah. of them together. But, uh, That's smart. Yeah, we're, we've been producing a lot of local copy. Now I don't know what happens, uh, you know, <laughs> two months, two weeks from now, three weeks from now when we've done all that stuff. I mean, I, I don't know. It's so weird. But I did, fellas, find a Joe Suture baseball game story oh. in, my, uh, in what I'm working on now. Steve Lubo, uh, a very obscure Twins pitcher in 1976, uh, came within one strike of pitching a no-hitter, and the beat writer that night for the uh, for the newspaper was uh, Joseph. Was this in Texas? Was this in Texas? Yes. yes it was. Uh, by the way, I looked it up. It was 97 that day. Let me tell you and, what uh, happened that night. Yes. I swear that was the night. When you and I got back to the hotel, you were waiting for the St. Paul paper. We got back to the hotel, and there was a convention of, uh, who were those ladies? Mary Kay. Mary Mary Kay convention. A lot of women in pink. A lot of pink women everywhere. And uh, I remember Danny Ford getting on an elevator with a group of very pink women. And I always wondered what might have happened. I think we know. I think we know. (laughs) I think that was Chanteeth was on that trip. Yep. I believe. And Chad uh, was a odd fellow who became a preacher. You know, he became yep. uh, he was very, very religious. Sure. And I think he must have ran into me that night or one night because uh, he, he he had noticed I was overserved one evening. <laughs> mm-hmm. So he like the next morning, somebody's banging on my door and I say, "Come back later." You know, you're not going to make up the room here. Yeah, come back later. It's Chan. Yep. Chan wants to convert me. Yeah. Chan said, uh, I want to talk to you about a three-letter word. Yep. Uh, God. Yeah. And I said, Chan, the only three-letter word beginning with G I know is Jin, but uh, thanks for your time. I'll see you later. Crazy. <laughs> oh, my God. What a snub. Oh, you are the master. Wow. Well, you know, before I was admitted. Before I was before I was admitted into the into the gang, I would show up. I'd I'd be covering a game in Boston and uh, Bob. Seventy six, we'd let you in. Yeah, but not prior to seventy six. I wasn't let in. I remember. I I remember one night. Yeah, I remember one night in Boston. Uh, you know, I was the dork that said, "Hey guys, what are you going to do?" Oh, and, no. and and they just said, "You know, why don't you just go away?" And and so I found you and Fowler in a bar in Boston, yeah. and and you literally would not let me join you. You just said, "I think you got to you got to leave now. You got to go away. You got to go away." That's how I used to treat interns up the yeah. hall. Yeah, beat it. We're done with you for the. I day. don't know. I, what was the turning point? What was the turning I point? Think, How did I get in? Down with your 
charm. It was, it was maybe maybe charm. like Mock. You know, Mock. Mock yep. was the turning point. When maybe Mock, Mock was the turning point. When Mock let you in, then we let you in. Yeah. So yeah. Mock came in '76, and yep. he he took your goofy non-baseball knowledge. Yep. And and turned it into a bit, and then yep. I said, "Up, oh, Joe's okay." Plus, we yeah. noticed you were a good writer, even though you didn't know him. Baseball from a horse turd. <laughs> <laughs> so but was, was well, no. I say seventy five. Case in point was when was he was he asked you when uh, was it Rodney? Why didn't they just put him back in? No, Tony O no, or Tony, Tony O. o. Was in New York. No, he was still on the outs then. That was <laughs> yeah. That was, was what was your first year? Seventy four. Seventy three. So seventy seventy four. The Yankees were in Shea Stadium in yep. seventy four and seventy five, and we're up there in Shea Stadium in the outdoor press box, freezing our boobs off at in uh, about the fourteenth inning, and suddenly the young baseball genius arises up and says, "Why don't they let Oliva bat here?" Oh my God! And, uh, oh no! Uh-huh. <laughs> I made an error. I said, I said, I finally said, hey, hey, uh, buddy, uh, they ran, pitch ran for him in the eighth inning. You can't do that here. This is, uh, you can't go back in the game six innings later just because you wanted to. And I sat down and salt. I added a couple of adjectives. I think you did. Boy, I was feeling small that night. So how did Dart get in so fast? Why was he so charming that he was just instantly in the gang? No, we invented one. him. Well, yeah, you say that, but but he would you let him in right away? Well, well no, he never we, traveled on the road with us or anything. No, no, no. He he bought his way in basically. He gave yeah. suits. He got suits. Suits said he needed a roof. <laughs> I got a roof out of the deal. <laughs> You're Kenny, in. you've heard that story, haven't yeah, you? You're yeah, you're in. <laughs> Come yeah. on in. Come on in. Yeah, I've heard it. Yeah, oh, I didn't. Okay. I didn't. I didn't need a roof. I got a roof. <laughs> Kenny, yeah, you got you got some strange human being that's just a complete character that is in your life, right? I mean, that somebody. Oh. You have four friends, and one of them you just have as a friend. In, in my case, he might be on the phone. Moron. Yeah, the oh, oh, can we, okay, yeah, I do, yeah. I do. Well, Darky was just, he was just a character, you know. And as I always have used this before, but I've my wife had friends who said, "How can Patrick stand the guy? You don't even know when he's telling the truth." And I always say, "What difference does it make?" It was usually entertaining. What can this hour do for me? (laughs) This is the only time he was honest in his whole life with Joe said. Yeah. What is the theme of your show? What is the theme of your show? What can the next three hours do for me? (laughs) That was was an honest answer, man. One of Dart's buddies died. Eddie Farmer is uh, a broadcaster, former pitcher, broadcaster. White Sox, White right? Sox. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I think he had kidney problems or something, but uh, he was Dart. When, when he came to town, there was a very good chance that Dart was going to call in sick at the big neighborhood and play yeah. golf. So, anyway, we missed that goofy. Hey, we're coming out. May, May 31, I believe. May 31. Well, another... Hey, by the way, I've got to tell you this. Yeah. Uh, so, 
I somebody texted me or tweeted out or uh, emailed me, excuse me, that he had a day as a youth when he went to a Twins opener and got drunk, and then he went to a pain re- the pain reliever. Yep. On the you know the strip train on the east side, the very high class strip train on the east side. Right. And then and then he went to a Saints game, the Fighting Saints game when Harpo with Goldthorpe got into a big brawl. Yeah. And I I said, boy, that is a that is a hat trick for misspent youth, isn't it? Yep. But I, I looked it up and and none of these things happened at the same time. So it was just <laughs> this guy's imagination of 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 a wonderful day, right? A wonderful day, you know. Drunk at Twins game, strippers, Saints game. When there's a big brawl, what more would you want? But so I called Dave Ferroni to check on some things. The Saints PR, you know, the Saints PR guy. Yeah. He started telling me some more stories. Yeah. It was unbelievable. I was on the phone with him for forty five minutes. Oh yeah. The night he climbed the boards in Duluth to beat the crap out of a bunch of Bulldog fans. <laughs> wow. Did the same thing in Ottawa. <laughs> oh, man, what a beauty. Well, April as usual, 22nd. this was another thorough look at sports. <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah. April 22nd is his 91st birthday. I think I can get a column out of that. I think you can, too. All right, what a All right, son. I love you. Uh, I wish you had another truck coming by, but you'll have to yeah, wait on Monday. I well, UPS will be here eventually. Here, yeah. Amazon. <laughs> UPS will be here. I'll keep an eye on. Goodbye. All right, all right. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. We better come back with uh, some scrambling, huh? I think so. Hang on. All right. Yeah, and I'm going to take a little break here. I'll I'm going to turn myself off for a minute. Hey, GLers, we have the man himself, Ryan, one of the owners of Elevated Beer, Wine, and Spirits, one of our new partners here in Garage Logic. And Ryan wanted to kind of send a personal thank you to all of you GLers that have made Elevated a part of your rotation when you're buying your needs and your wares over the weekend. So, Ryan, you guys have really stepped up to the plate, not only with delivery through your Elevated app, but also with curbside pickup. Tell people how important that this is and, and the things that they can expect when they make their purchase at Elevated. Hey, Reavers. Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, you know, first of all, thank you for uh, for the support, uh, not just from you, but the whole crew over there and uh, and the listeners. Um, really excited to be partnering with you guys and sharing this service with you. Um, just to kind of hit on some of the things that we're doing right now that are making things easier for our customers and and those that are looking for contactless and delivery service. Everything is running through our web store at the moment, and you can visit that at elevated.shop. When you, when you are on the site, or you can, you can download our app too, which I'll give you some details on later, but when you're on the site, you fill your cart just like you normally would in any online shopping experience, and when you go to check out, you have the option to do either delivery, which is powered by Postmates and is, is driven right through the website there, Delivery is happening typically in about 30 to 60 minutes, so super fast, very convenient, and a lot faster than a lot of the, the other services we're seeing out there right now. They're delivering liquor, which takes sometimes upwards of days to get your order. We're seeing that typically within an hour, so super cool and uh, and very convenient. The the pickup piece we've uh, we've been doing in store pickup for a while, but now we've added, added contactless curbside pickup. That's something you can select when you check out as well. 
these services are available at both of our locations in South Minneapolis and in White Bear Lake right now. And is there a radius, Ryan, for delivery for people that might live either a certain a certain number of miles away from either one of your stores, either in South Minneapolis or at the store up in White Bear Lake? Sure. Right now, we are covering most of the 494, 694 loop. Cool. So you have a pretty good chance of getting delivery if, that, uh, if, if that's where you are, if that's where you're having your product delivered to. But you know, there are some some pockets that are that are not, uh, I, I guess, fully serviced at this point. But what we're seeing is that Postmates presence is growing throughout the city. There's a huge demand right now for delivery in general. They're adding a lot of a lot of staff, and uh, and we're seeing that that radius uh, grow even uh, week to week right now. Awesome. ElevatedBWS.com is the website, and as Ryan mentioned, you can either shop online at Elevated.shop or also download the app, and you just search for Elevated Beer in your app store. Correct, Ryan? That's exactly it. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Chris. You got it. Well, that was nice, Chris. Cool. They are the, literally the best guys in the business to work with. Well, I already awesome. know that because they're in my neighborhood. That's and, right. That's uh, your shop. That's the place I go. Anyway, uh, so it was actually earlier today I received a note from a buddy who had a couple of shotguns gifted to him in the last few years. Brand new. I don't know if he won them or uh, how he came about them, but he wanted to learn more about the firearms and the ammo and then training and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I, I could have answered his questions, but seriously, why would you take advice from me when the fellows at DKMags.com can do it so much better and supply him with everything he needs, including instruction on where to get instruction? Uh, as for DK Mags themselves, they're still open Monday through Saturday up on Old 8 in New Brighton and selling firearms and ammunition and accessories like crazy. However, they are taking steps. They're limiting the amount of customers in the store one at a time. Uh, you've heard me talking about this. Everything being wiped down constantly, kind of like it here is here uh, at HBI. We're always wiping stuff down, and everything's being sanitized all the time. Make sure everybody's healthy. Everyone on the staff still healthy and happy. So the business will remain open, and business, as you've probably heard, is booming right now. If you're locked down in your home, sitting around, wondering what to do to yourself, if you have a notion, check out the website, dkmags.com. You'll be able to spend hours on that website uh, because it has a ton of information and firearms. And don't forget, uh, if you're a police officer or a veteran of the military or in the, uh, in the military, you get another 5% off a discount on most items, and that includes firearms. While you're thinking about DK Mags, keep in mind they have another location. It's up in Monticello, Monticello Pond and Gun. Uh, we're very proud to call them friends and family of Garage Logic, DKMags.com. Turn Joe's mic back on. Is he screaming at you? <laughs> I'm going to come in there and break your neck. What the hell are you doing? We're taking a break from you. Right. Yeah, we, had a break. we had to do some ads. 
about a year-long break. <laughs> uh, next week, we're going to take a break from you and open up the phone lines so the GLers can rail at us. Don't call oh. us. We'll call you. No, we're not doing that. <laughs> All right. Say, uh, we, I have mentioned uh, a guy named uh, uh, Tom Lyman. Yeah. who has been writing us from all over the world. Right, yeah. And and, uh, and he did today. From He's in Mumbai, India. And it was on this day, for example, that the St. Paul Union Depot opened. It was on this day, uh, it was 1920. It was on this day in 1970 that the former Greyhound bus station in Minneapolis opened as a music club, the Man. Depot. Well, I get this note. Joe, my husband Tom Lyman has been sending you email messages regarding on this date in Minnesota history as an avid listener of GL for many years. We are former Minnesotans from Chanhassen and have been traveling the world for the past seven and a half years. Hmm. We sold everything we owned, no storage, no home anywhere in the world, and left Minnesota on Halloween 2012. Tom told me to tell you his CI is zero. Today, the Southwest News Media, the Villager, that's a neighborhood... uh, yeah, I get paper, that one. Paper out, Chan had, Well, yep. you'll see this article then. Uh, did a third in a series of stories of our travels, especially in light of the fact that we are locked down due to the COVID-19 in a hotel in Mumbai, India, when we weren't allowed to board our booked flight to South Africa on March 20. Our story is here at this link from our site, which includes the story the newspaper published about us today and the struggles we're facing in a country where all the airports and most of the hotels are closed. We are grateful to be able to stay in this courtyard by Marriott in Mumbai while we wait this out. Thanks for continuing to entertain us throughout the world as we travel, including while on all seven continents. Today, we've published almost 2,800 posts with photos and continue to do so each day. With warmest regards, Jessica Lyman and Tom. And uh, so now I know more about this guy. They're traveling the world. They just packed up up house seven and a half years ago, left Chanhassen, and have been traveling the world. And while that's really cool and interesting, I can't imagine how frightening that must be given what we're going through right now. Uh, yeah, there's places I'd probably rather be than India. Yeah. Courtyard by Marriott. I've had the uh, fortunate. I, I've been able to stay in one or two of those lovely, lovely hotels. I'm just wondering how you, Such, would cope with uh, being locked down in a courtyard by Marriott. In India? Anywhere. Anywhere. I, I mean, even even in Des Moines. Uh, and and I, don't I, don't start. I'd, tu- I'd, I'd tunnel out. I'd I'd walk home. I'd do anything. Uh, really quick, by the way, I mentioned this to Kenny before we began the show today. I finally watched the uh, the documentary on First Avenue last night. Joe, you're you're wrong. I thought it was fantastic. I didn't say it wasn't good. I said it was heavy on management issues. But I learned a ton of stuff that well, I. I'm happy for you. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a, you're not going to get through to him. Today. I, and I actually kind of liked how. They would spend just a few moments on all of the different bands and the wide variety of acts that they would bring. I didn't know they did the whole swimming pool bit. I had no idea they did that. That's that's awesome. Reavers, you uh, you are we still going by? The, you have a friend that bartends. Or are we being honest? Yeah, it's it's me. They've got a bartender down there who's been working upstairs in the loft since the uh, I don't know. I, 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 would it be hyperbole to say early eighties? His name is Pete or Peter. And uh, he is, without a doubt, the best bartender this town has ever seen. Yeah. And he's still he's still working there, and they only showed him on screen for two seconds. 
But seriously, this guy, and I was lucky enough at one time to call him a friend, um, both Deb and I, a friend of ours, and uh, just absolutely the best guy, and he's always well-dressed. And all you have to do is with Pete is once you get your first drink, lay down two extra bucks, he'll have your drink waiting for you as you walk up. Mm-hmm. And he's really Really fast. There is boy, I like a good bartender. He, he seriously, Such, He's the best bartender I've ever seen in my life. And he's well, there's still an art to it. Yes, yeah. there's, there a, there's yeah. an art to it. And he's fun to watch. He's fun to watch because he's. And he re- must enjoy it. He's still there. Yeah, yeah. He's really quick, and he's just a wonderful guy. You have to have unbelievably good short-term memory, and you have to be able to multitask under pressure. There's that a, leaves you out. No, I'm actually not bad. I'm Your actually, short-term memory's hanging in there. Yeah, but. Be, because I can always equate the drink with the face. You know what? Uh, we're not good at anything. That's true. According to him. Yeah, that's we, true. We suck at everything we do. <laughs> when would the Twins home opener have been? Yesterday? Yes, yesterday. Yep. Would they have played today or would that have been T- scheduled as an off day? Today would have been the scheduled off day. Uh, would they play today? I wonder. It's 27 degrees and light I, snow. I would doubt that they would have played today. I'm looking out the boathouse window here, yeah. and it's snowing. But they would have. Uh, but tomorrow is supposed to be okay, and Sunday's supposed to be gorgeous. Pat, uh, Pat had a great question. What What's the determining point when we come out of our caves? I'm getting to the point where I'll just be happy if they play baseball because I'm preparing myself mentally that the season's not going to happen. And, and we just threw away hockey, right? It's yep. just this is it's over. Right? Well, it's not official, but it's there's. I can't see a scenario in which the sports are coming back anytime soon. Yeah, because we don't know what the guideline is. Is it is it complete eradication or mm-hmm. is it a is it a dramatic downturn in the numbers of new cases? Mm-hmm. Well, we don't know that. What's yeah. the answer to that? And who is going to be the first uh, team or entity to come back and say, "Okay, it's on." Yeah. Cuz can you imagine uh, the political pressure uh, on the people who have to make that decision? Oh. You know, if they're wrong, they're really going to be wrong. Well, and I know that even the the NFL is taking some heat, and and there's plenty to pick apart with the NFL, but they're getting heat because they still went through with their process of free agency, and they're still planning on holding their draft, and I think it's three weeks from today. Well, it's it's the off season. There, none of this is involving the public or involving people in in mass quantities. I don't get what, why we're so mad at the league for doing this. At least it's giving us something, us us sports nerds. It's giving us something to watch and observe. Yeah. Hail you. Hail the flashlight yeah. king. king. I just said hail yeah. you. Joe and team, I am listening to the uh, April 2nd, 2020 podcast, and I wanted to write a positive note to you all. Actually, I've been meaning to do this for a while. I've been listening nearly every day since 2005. I have not missed one podcast to date since you went to podcast format. You guys are getting pounded by some listeners. Uh, not all. Uh, well, at least one, me, enjoys your show every day. I quit watching the news quite some time ago. Too negative. I will check in for the weather and sports periodically, but now it seems like the only weather is worth watching because we don't have any sports going on. I will try to make this as short as possible. My mother, who passed away last year, raised us to say the right thing and do the right thing. Uh, one that has struck with me for stuck with me forever is, and I use it a lot, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. I use it all the time, business, social gatherings, and for certain social media. So turn the channel if you don't like it. You have a choice. And a plug for your sponsors, please. I have been to Grundhofer's several times. I have visited the coffee grounds and ordered from them online. Thank you. I purchased a gift card the day after your podcast for 30 bales and bought from EcoFund prior to them being a sponsor. 
I also have visited frats multiple times, ordering clothing from the Minnesotan, and recently ordered duck bacon from Bucks out in Montana oh, after nice. hearing that about a, on a podcast as well. <laughs> nice. He's not even a sponsor. That's awesome. I have, I have yet to be Mancetti's. It's a little far. I don't crash vehicles, knock on wood, but if that happens, I'll visit Schoonover. And I did peruse the Schmelz family dealership online. That spider looks fun. Maybe perhaps a later date, the Fiat 124. I will get to DK Mag soon. I need some ammo for my range I have in my backyard. Cool. I miss the fun with the whole gang together, but I understand where we are together. The band will be back soon. Positive mental attitude. Keep pushing back from Glenwood City, Wisconsin. Chris, wasn't that nice? What a I great love, Our, our, our GLers you. really are loyal to Thank our uh, customers. He mentioned Grunhoffers. They've made it easier for you, too. Grunhoffers Old Fashioned Meats in Hugo on Highway 61, right at the north end of Hugo. Call in your order in advance. Go to the website, select what you want, call the order in, 651-426-2800. 651-426-2800. Which occurs to me, you know, on a podcast... You don't have to repeat telephone numbers. Because <laughs> on a podcast, all you got to just go back and get the damn number. Let me rewind that and uh-huh. listen to that again. I you think I pre- might make this an all uh, Grunhofer meatloaf weekend. I got five. Yeah. So maybe I'll have one a day. You can prepay over the phone, and when you get there, the Grunhofer staff will place your order in your trunk, or they'll just place it outside the door for you to pick up. And you can't go wrong. Weather's supposed to turn tomorrow and Sunday. In the midst of a pandemic, you still have to eat. You might as well eat the best. And that's the meat from Grunhofer's Old Fashioned Meats in Hugo. GrunhoferOldFashionedMeats.com. You can select what you want from the menu, order it, pay by phone, Zip up there and pick it up. Bing, bang, boom. Sanitation safe. How's mm-hmm. that? How's that? Huh? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, boys, I don't know what else to tell you except uh, We're gonna be getting okay. old. It's getting old. We're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. The conversation with the doc, that was reassuring to me. Wasn't that wonderful? Thank you to Dr. Steve Richardson, anesthesiologist fellow at the University of Minnesota, inventing or perfecting a very economical and efficient co-ventilator and hopes to have it out there soon well boys stay safe have a good weekend joe you guys too all right all Uh, right garagelogic.com that's your home for all of your garage logic podcasts and don't forget to download the pod mn app we will have news in relation to pod mn on monday so stay tuned have a good weekend glers (laughs) 